Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then what it's like when you actually get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one, no BS. Please join us in welcoming Ariana Huffington to the couch. This is a big deal for us. We are very, very excited you are here. Uh, Obviously, you know Ariana as the woman who put the Huffington in the Huffington Post, (laughs) Uh, but she's got a lot more on her resume. By her early 20s, she was a best-selling author, and she even once ran for the California governorship. She's done a lot. Uh, But when she collapsed in her office in 2007 after working 18-hour days, she decided it was time to focus more on her well-being. That sparked her latest venture as the founder and CEO of Thrive Global. The company is all about helping people reset, recharge, and get more sleep. We will sign up for that. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the couch, Ariana. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. We are are truly excited, as Danielle said. I first just want to start off, like, I want to understand a day in the life of Ariana. What time do you wake up? So I wake up eight hours after I go to sleep. Do you really do that? Yes. Eight hours. Okay. And not 100% of the okay. time, but 95% of the time. You know, there are always these days when a flight is delayed, a deadline takes longer than you thought. But what happens now on those days, I just don't like myself. I don't like the way I show up at work. I don't like the way I become reactive, more emotional, more upset about things going wrong. And in every day, as you know, some things go right and some things go wrong. So I have grown so used to the new me that I don't like the old me when she shows up (laughs) when I don't get my eight hours sleep. What did you cut out of your life to be able to get eight hours? Games of Thrones. (laughs) Really? Yes. I have not watched a single episode. Wow. I would like to. I'm yeah. not saying that like in a cavalier way. <laughs> so do you like you don't break out like the Netflix binges? No, like I have okay. not. I have not watched Game of Thrones, House of Cards, anything. When you wake up, like in the middle of the night, if you wake up for a second, do you grab your phone? I, my phone does not sleep with me. Do well, you I, remember? I, have it. I was, This is a trick question because yes. I have it in our office. You have the phone bed. We, we, yeah, we so, do. Uh, I brought you two phone beds <gasps> here. Oh, I need a new one for my house. Oh, great. Thank so you. The one you can keep here for your Thank office you. to use like for meetings. Yeah. All our meetings at Thrive are device-free because then people can be truly present. They can participate. The meetings are shorter, more creative. Uh, but at night, the phone bed is for you to put your phone to sleep outside your bedroom. She's not joking. It's literally a bed with a little silk comforter and pillow for your phone. The phone has a very nice life. (laughs) The phone has a nicer bed than me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when you have children, in case you want to have children, you can teach them from the day they get their phone that the phone sleeps in their little bed. And uh, that's why the the phone bed has room for 10 phones and iPads. <laughs> so my phone, anyway, is definitely outside my room. So if I wake up in the middle of the night, that's a very important point because a lot of us wake up in the middle of the night. And the reason for that is that we go to sleep because we're exhausted. Yeah. 
but then we haven't really taken the time to slow down our brain. So the brain wakes us up. So what I recommend is um, sleep meditations that you can play on your Alexa or your HomePod or whatever you have. And if you don't have any of that, I still have my old-fashioned iPod mm -hmm. before you were born. I, I have an iPod. <laughs> is, there, is there a Thrive Sleep Meditation? Like yes. If we I have ask a, we Alexa? have a Thrive Skill. Uh, we call it a Thrive Skill on Alexa that can play the Thrive Sleep Meditation. Mm -hmm. Also, I have my 12 favorite sleep meditations that I can send you a link to. They're at the end of the Sleep Revolution book. I would, what I would recommend if you have an iPod is put them on your iPod mm -hmm. and try them out. You may hate 11 of them, <laughs> but I promise you there will be one that you'll never hear to the end because you'll fall asleep. I'm, I'm going to try the skill. I'm very excited. Try the skill. So, so wait, I want to go back to this because I, we struggle with this so much. We, I completely agree. I am a better version of myself when I actually get enough sleep. We are not the founders that are like when we work, you know, on four hours, I think that's the way to live. We've done it. Um, we did it for years and we definitely got to that breaking point. Um, but how do you, I see you running a company. I see you all over the world. I see you being photographed at events. Like how do you actually know what to cut out and how do you prioritize in your days to actually make time for those eight hours? So that's a great question because I haven't slowed down. Like it's not like my life is less busy or less full of things. Uh, what has changed is my prioritization. And in the um, Thrive Global Cultural Values, which I'll send you, one of them is relentlessly prioritize, and the second is get comfortable with incompletions. Because I have no doubt that there is never a day when either of you, or indeed any of your employees, can say we've done everything we could possibly have done today. Mm -hmm. So if we're not comfortable with incompletions, which has to go hand in hand with having done the important things that day, then we won't be able to really surrender to sleep because our mind is going to be replaying all the things that were left undone. So there are two memories I have of you that I think are, are two things that I've learned a lot about from you to say a lot about um, why you are a role model for us. One is, and these seem small, but I'll go into why they're important. When we saw you when you first started Thrive, um, we were talking about how it's hard to be able to have to go to a lot of events and to be able to afford to get clothes to go to these things. And when you're exhausted and trying to run the day to day, like for women, you have to look nice and you'd get your hair done and you have to put yourself together. And um, you said, you're like, I just wear the same dress over and over again. And I thought you were lying and you showed me pictures. You're like, it's the same black dress. No one knows. And I just keep wearing it. And I purposely wore a black dress today <laughs> for you. Which looks beautiful. Thank you. That I, I love your shoes. I wore recently because I'm going to keep wearing it. Uh, but I, I think I say that it's a small story, but it goes with the second thing I'm going to say, which is we've seen you at different dinners and people say, Ariana's coming to dinner. And you come for about 20 minutes and then you go to another <laughs> dinner. And you go to that one for about 20 minutes and then you go to another one. And I know you go home early. And these are little small tricks that we talk about a lot between the two of us because I think what it shows us is that you don't sweat the small things. 
that you know that like you don't need to be everywhere at once and that um, how do you prioritize is like if you need to go say hello to an important dinner, you go, you say hi, and then you don't have to stay for the whole dinner. Uh, and, <laughs> and you don't have to have dessert. And you don't have to have dessert. <laughs> and I, I think um, I've been thinking a lot about it because a lot of those small things are things that add stress to our day. When I think about how many times we've been stressed by like we have to make big decisions for the company and we're like, shoot, I have to look nice tomorrow. Oh my gosh, we got to get our hair done. Oh my gosh, what are we going to wear? Or, oh my gosh, we have to go to this dinner and we're exhausted. How are we going to stay awake and then go write the skim after? Um, I think that there are examples of small ways that you prioritize your life. And I'm curious, when did that all start in 2007, or how have you developed those habits? It absolutely started in 2007. I mean, I did everything wrong. I mean, everything you are describing about the four-hour nights and the zombie-like state the next day when I wanted to crawl under a bed in my office or under a table. So... But you're absolutely right that it's about the small things. I mean, the fact, for example, that I'm completely comfortable with repeats. Mm -hmm. In fact, we started a whole movement at Thrive called Hashtag Style Repeats. And we want women to proudly wear the same thing again and again. It can be a beautiful thing. I mean, your dress is gorgeous. Thank you. It can be an expensive (laughs) thing. you know. (laughs) No, you know what I'm saying. It's not about uh, being sloppy. It can be... I mean, I wore Alexander McQueen at the time on 100 dinner, and then I wore it three nights later at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is a definite no. (laughs) And then I I did a split screen on my Instagram wearing it. So that the whole point is that you are doing it proudly. And it takes an enormous amount of stress. Think of the amount of time and energy, not to mention money, that women spend trying to wear something different for every occasion, and it puts us at a huge competitive disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Men show up well, in a like suit. Well, it's like Obama always said he wore the same suit. Exactly. Yes. Zuckerberg wears the same thing every day. The same hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing that I have been very, I've been waiting for years. <laughs> I'm really to, excited for this. To get to ask is 10 years ago, I interviewed to be your assistant. And yes, and I wish you all could see yes. Ariana's face right now. <laughs> and I was in your DC office, and I was sitting there, and I was terrified. And I remember you came in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching Sam Stein talk about politics, like in the newsroom. And I'm a total geek. That was like I I was so excited, and I sit down to interview, and you're like, "Have you eaten yet?" And I was like. No. And you're like, here's a yogurt. And I remember being like, do I eat the yogurt? And do I not eat the yogurt? And is this a test? <laughs> and could not, like, figure out to this day. Like, and I ate the yogurt. But I still don't know if that was the right thing. Was this something that I made up in my head? Or is this an actual test to see if people would, like, take care of themselves in an interview process? And I've been wanting to know for 10 years. That is hilarious. Um, no, for me, it's more like my maternal instinct I mean you are about the age of my oldest daughter who is 29 how old are you now older Um, we'll go with 29 (laughs) so um, and so you must have looked stressed which you were I was yes (laughs) so I couldn't exactly give you a hug so so I thought offering something to eat could be thank you uh, so (laughs) we have a confession this this whole interview request was a giant ruse to find out why Danielle didn't get the (laughs) job 
<laughs> I don't remember you not getting the job, but what a terrible mistake. I must have been sleep deprived. <laughs> it's okay, I, it worked out. I, yeah. It worked out, yeah. yes. But it also must have been what Rumi says, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. Mm. Right? I like that, yes. So I wanted to talk about what it is like to work for Ariana Huffington. I've known people that have worked for you. People say they learn a ton from you, and it's intense. It's a lot. Talk to us about being a boss. What are you like as a manager? So I think that's a very good question because at the beginning when people um, started interviewing for Thrive, there were some people who had the expectation that Thrive is like a laid-back place, and we are not. You know, we are a high-achieving place. We have a growth mindset like you do. Uh, what we are passionate about is making sure that you can grow and achieve without burning out. So it's like, how do you make growth and success and achievement sustainable? So that's really what we encourage each other to do, um, which means if the, when the work day is over, we are not expecting anybody to be on, on call unless there is an emergency, mm -hmm. and there rarely is. Um, there are people, for example, who, if I send emails at the weekend, even if I don't expect them to do anything until Monday, it stresses them. Mm -hmm. We ask them that. We have something called the entry interview, where we ask people what matters to them. And we take that into account. I mean, I have some people who are with me at the Huffington Post and are now with me at Thrive. I've worked with for 12 years, and I know if I send them emails over the weekend because I'm clearing things, it doesn't bother them at all because they know they don't have to do anything about it. But other people maybe who are newer um, have a different way of acting, so we take that into account. And the first question of the entry interview, which is very important for anybody who works for me, is what's important to you outside of work? Mm -hmm. And uh, honoring that, like it could be a mother who wants to take her child to school at 7.30, don't set up 7.30 conference calls if you can avoid it, or somebody who has a violin lesson at 5 p.m., make sure they make it. Whatever it is, then people feel they can bring their whole selves to work. How do you give critical feedback? Oh, so the number one value in our cultural values is what we call compassionate directness. It is a fundamental value, not just for managers giving feedback, but for employees giving feedback to managers. It goes two ways. Mm -hmm. And we totally reward it. We reward directness. Um, we congratulate people for being direct, you know, at meetings, people saying things that contradict maybe what company leaders have said. We totally encourage that. And for me, the key thing is to give the feedback compassionately. When people feel it, that you, you have their best interests at heart and you are giving them feedback and uh, it's intended for them to grow, it works. If you are giving it when you're angry <laughs> or upset mm -hmm. because something hasn't worked, it's much harder for the person to take it. Do you change your management style depending on who you're speaking to? Or is there just one Ariana and this is how she manages and this is how she is? I think there are some people who are more, who are younger and um, and not as, um, as comfortable yet with receiving feedback. Frankly, 
we try to screen towards not hiring these people. We like to hire strong people. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I like to hire people who will disagree with me, who will uh, openly walk into my office and say they didn't like something, rather than people who are passive-aggressive. So I feel like enough time has passed that we can talk about this. I think you're right. Confession. <laughs> so your move, it, it happened. It happened. And Is it still happening? Because I walk by and I see boxes. I do still have boxes, except the only thing that I'm actually obsessed with when I first moved in is I want my towels and my sheets on my bed immediately. And I have to say, I took uh, took your advice and I got my parachute. It's great. And my favorite thing about it is like it's a very chic, minimalist look. The colors, it's really awesome. And it's going to bring some calm into your home, which we could all use. Namaste. You can visit parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns on parachutes. Very comfortable bedding and bath linens. Again, that is parachutehome.com slash the skim for free shipping and returns on parachutes, bedding and bath linens. And they also offer 60-day trials, so if you don't like your stuff, you can send it back. So I want to talk about stress because I think one way, obviously, you shifted your whole life and career to as a result of you, stress was physically making you sick in 2007. Um, but we all, I mean, no matter what you do, everyone is stressed. You, you're, you're in a startup. You start, you're running a company. You're scaling it. How do you show stress? How do people know you're stressed? So here's what is interesting. I don't think we're ever going to eliminate stress. I think that our goal at Thrive is to eliminate stress becoming cumulative. By the way, our whole room right now is stressed because there's a weird sound, and you're literally seeing like eight eyes behind you so stressed. <laughs> they're doing construction upstairs, and they won't tell us when they're going to drill so or not. Le- so let's, let's think of it as a beautiful background yeah. noise. Yes, we're meditating. Right? Yes. yes, absolutely nothing <laughs> stressful about it. So, you know, there, and there are one thing that I have now mastered is not to show it, but I haven't yet fully mastered not to feel it. <laughs> I think that's the ultimate. You so know, if you wh- don't show it, like, are you like, are you sweating? Are you like shaking no. your foot? Like, no. You- let's say if I'm, I'm more. My, my stress is more about um, things that we, as we're scaling, and you're scaling. So you know what? What is the biggest obstacle to scaling? Is talent. Mm-hmm. And the biggest, um, the biggest stress factor right now is are we hiring enough? Mm-hmm. And are we hiring the right people? And are we hiring fast enough? So hiring, I mean, we have been very lucky and you've been very lucky to have kind of unlimited funding at our disposal. So we closed our Series B. We, are, we have a lot of people lining up to do the Series C. So for some startups, funding is a mm-hmm. source of stress for Thrive. Talent is a source of stress because we're hiring so fast. We're growing. We're moving offices again. We just opened a San Francisco office. Oh, my gosh. Congrats. Thank you. We hired a great woman to be our director of product and engineering, which I was, I'm very excited about. And, and I was just talking to her on the way over. It's like she's stressing about how fast <laughs> is she hiring. Yeah. So dealing with that source of stress For me, when I've had enough sleep and I've taken some time to meditate, work out, avoid sugar, (laughs) you know, really, these things work. I'm much more able to handle it. What was more stressful, running for office or starting a company? (laughs) 
Oh, you know, running for office because I, I didn't have all the keys I have now. I think it's not so much a function of the running for office. It's just that I, I know so much more about how to manage my own stress levels and how not to let it be cumulative. Would you ever run for office again? No, I just love my, I love my new job. Because of that or because of the crazy state of politics today? No, because I'm, I, you know, you know when you know you're doing what you're meant to do? Yeah. I'm sure you feel that. Yeah. It's the most satisfying thing. What, um, what still makes you insecure? You've done, you've had so many different careers and versions of yourself. And I, I, I'm looking at all the people behind you right now in, in our little studio, and they're all kind of like looking at you in awe. And I know people listening are going to be like, wow, like she's, you know, she's so strong. She says all these, these things that make her sound like she's at peace and she's building this great company. But like, where are you still insecure? Oh, anything to do with my daughters. Okay. Like I text one of my two daughters and they don't text me back within two seconds. I'm practically calling 911. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely irrational. I realize it. Um, or one of them isn't happy uh, about her boyfriend or her career or something and tells me she's over it like in half an hour and I'm still holding on to it <laughs> as I go to sleep. What are you like as a mom? I am a real friend to my daughters. Uh, they know they're my priority, and they've always been, even when <laughs> um, I was working around the clock. I mean, they know that, and everybody who works with me knows um, if my phone rings, even if I'm in a meeting, I'll take it, which is a total no-no normally mm -hmm. at Thrive. But I know that very often these calls last for 30 seconds, mm -hmm. but I, I just want to be reassured that they're not about to jump off <laughs> <laughs> the fourth floor window. <laughs> Who do you go to for advice? My sister. I'm is really, she in media? Or uh, an no, she writes books. Um, her last book is The Joy of You. She does meditations. Oh, this runs in the whole thrive. family. Yes, it runs <laughs> in the family. Agape Stasinopoulos. And she's what we call like a, a charter member of my Thrive tribe. And, and my two daughters, actually. They're very wise when it comes to what their mom should be doing. Is your sister <laughs> older or younger? Younger, two years younger. Do you have an older sibling? No, it's just the two of us. I'm not surprised you're the older one. Yeah. <laughs> two older siblings. Uh, <laughs> if you, do you see yourself writing another book? No, that's such an interesting question. You know, I've written 15 books, and now I don't see myself writing another book. I, I write articles. I mean, like I most recently write, wrote an article about how to deal with a perpetual cycle of outrage. In fact, we should do something together about that because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you're reading. I mean, I, I love this game and Thank you. I, I, I read it every day. I want to talk to you about something that I think has become, since you left the Huffington Post, has become a bigger and bigger and bigger issue in some ways in our media culture, which is kind of the the political divide of not even knowing people that feel the same way you do or uh, or feel differently than you do. And if you look on Facebook, you're seeing completely different opinions than someone else, right, depending on where you live. You started the Huffington Post in part because you wanted to give an outlet for liberal voices. When you think about that now, 
do you think about that as something that is clearly it was a hugely successful business and something that we looked at and there's there's so much good about it but do you look at that as something that helped or in some ways hurt this kind of divisiveness that we're seeing now so the way I saw the Huffington Post and I've written a lot about it is always about being beyond left and right. I actually think, and that was at the heart of the Huffington Post, that the big issues of our time, um, that were big issues when we launched in 2005 and remain big issues now, like growing income inequalities, um, our disastrous criminal system, Uh, immigration, um, the corruption of our campaign finance reform system, all these things remain huge problems and they're not right-left problems. I mean, you don't have to be a a liberal to care about income inequalities. You don't have to be a liberal to care about children separated from their families or to care about climate change. So I think the problem has been presenting everything as left or right. In fact, you mentioned Sam Stein. Sam and I, everybody in the Washington Bureau, were telling all the reporters you cannot use left and right constantly as a way to describe policies because it's lazy journalism. When you think about what you've created on your own, and that you took a name that you it was not your your the name you were born into. That belonged to my ex-husband. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, it, uh, <laughs> he thought I should have been paying him some franchise. So you fee. took yeah, yeah. that name. <laughs> and hey, can we ask about that? Did you yeah. ever think about naming it not the Huffington Post? Um, we thought of for a minute of naming it the Stasinopoulos Post, but we rejected it immediately as uh, as something that would not work at all. (laughs) It's a good name. Uh, But you you monetized the shit out of that name. You sold that business really well. You did very well. And and it was, you know, when we started the skim and we looked at, at comps and we looked at what came before us, obviously we studied everything that you did. When you when you take a step back and look at what you've created before, and forget Thrive for a second, but you look at like what the legacy that you've created, and you're not anywhere near from done yet. How are you proud of yourself? So I don't know if you feel that, but I'm so much about what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I know from you because of the way you work that you are about what you are doing right now. You are probably about your Instagram TV or what you're doing with Katie Couric. You're always about what's happening right now rather than looking back. And that's how I feel. I, I'm, I'm just so engaged in what we're doing now and the need that people have to lead amazing lives without burnout that uh, I don't really ever think about a legacy. What are you most proud of, though, that you've done? Oh, definitely my daughters. I just... Uh, I just look at them um, with so much pride, and uh, they've both been through their struggles. One of them was involved in drugs. She's been very public about it. She wrote about it. She's now been sober for um, six years. The other went through anorexia, so it's not like this has been a a carefree existence, but um, it's been wonderful sort of growing up with them and watching them grow up. So... I'm going back to the to the sale of the Huffington Post for a second because, to be honest, when I think about it, there's not that many women that we have talked to that have sold their businesses, which is a reflection of the gender inequality in the tech industry especially, um, but have also had an outcome as great as yours was. On the day that you – the day that the deal went through, what did you do? Did you cry? Did oh, you so celebrate? Actually, <laughs> what happened is that 
Um, Tim Armstrong, the CEO of AOL, and I were at the Super Bowl in Dallas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Uh, talking to lawyers, oh, literally. Like, literally. Together? We like clo- together. <laughs> we closed the deal halftime at the Super Bowl. Oh, my Will God. I am was singing, but neither of them listened to a single, <laughs> <laughs> a single song. We then got on a plane um, to go fly back to New York. The announcement was going to be, that was Sunday night. Yeah. The announcement was going to be Monday morning. The New York Times, we had been working with them for a front page story, um, which we read on the plane oh as we're gosh. flying into New York. And then um, that morning, we had a full all hands with everybody where I brought everybody Greek cookies. <laughs> <laughs> did you look in the mirror at one point, either on the plane or when you landed, and were like, holy shit, look what I just did? I was just, I know that I was incredibly excited and happy. And then, then that night, Tim and I took a plane to go to LA and do another press junket oh there. Gosh. And I remember we were sitting next to each other on the plane, and we we both had like literally tens of thousands of emails. Yeah. So we're competing with each other. <laughs> who was going to clear their <laughs> inbox first? So then he decided as I was going faster, he started sending me emails. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our last questions. These are ones that we ask everyone. What was the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? The worst piece of advice I've ever gotten was not to start the Huffington Post. I mean, from... Well, that was really so, bad advice. <laughs> so from, including from many people who loved me, yeah. including from my children. Why? Who were very embarrassed at the idea that their name mm-hmm. would be used for this blog. <laughs> 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 I remember my children begging me, can't you call it something else? <laughs> people will know it's you. <laughs> um, last question. You've started different things you've you've done so many different things in your career what was the time when you had to negotiate the most for yourself the time when I had to negotiate um, had a lot to do with my books um, especially my second book my my first book was a big success it was a book about the changing role of women I was 23 it was completely unexpected and then I took myself out of society and wrote a book on the crisis in political leadership that literally nobody wanted to read, let alone publish. (laughs) And it was rejected by 36 publishers. And it was really, first of all, negotiating with myself so that I didn't get so discouraged that I gave up and went on to take some other job. And second, um, negotiating with the publisher who at least wanted to talk to me about why he should publish it. And finally, it was published. It sold 3,000 copies. <laughs> hey, you published, published it. <laughs> Ariana, thank you so much for thank being you. here today. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.